Hello everyone, welcome to Living Live with Ross video. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, and today I'm joined by Todd Riggs. He is the product manager for connectivity and control at Ross Video. Todd, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today we're focusing on decentralized or distributed IP and SDI routing. Now this isn't necessarily a new concept or a new topic, but uh, Todd, explain to us why this is relevant for us to discuss now. Uh, I, I think it comes down to uh, a couple of things. Uh, there's a, a couple of really big shifts going on uh, within our industry as a whole. Uh, they're, they're familiar topics to anybody that is working in our space, um, but, uh, but they have changed uh, some of the requirements and, and how we address uh, some of these requirements uh, within uh, a routing topology. And, and those two topics are obviously uh, IP uh, transport uh, topologies and then this uh, move to uh, UHD or 4K uh, type productions. Uh, both of these things are uh, stressing uh, some equipment that we've had uh, traditionally, and um, so we're having to work around, uh, you know, some some uh, some of those issues uh, within the equipment. But there's also some promise uh, with some of this that's allowing us to explore uh, different workflows um, based on a few different factors. So uh, it's it's kind of an interesting thing. It's a it's a bit of back to the future. Uh, this is uh, a decentralized concept isn't new. Uh, we were forced to do this years ago uh, based on some limitations, and we're, we're kind of coming back around to it now. Todd, you kind of got into a little bit of it there, but I was wondering if you could go into a little bit more specifics and kind of flesh out in a little bit more detail the advancements in technology that have really caused everybody to revisit this particular architecture that, as you mentioned, is something that, that was done more in the past. Yeah, so if we look at the past, one of the big challenges that we had, and if you go back 20 years, um, the, uh, the way you would build a, a large-scale uh, router, um, we, we couldn't build uh, these large systems into single frames. Uh, and so what that did is that uh, made us build these larger systems uh, through uh, a series of things using things like combiners, um, things like tie lines, uh, et cetera, to start to build these bigger infrastructures. About 15 years ago, 20 years ago or so, uh, we started getting into bigger uh, cross-point chips uh, that we could now put onto cross-points within routing systems. And now, instead of literally taking an entire room uh, to build out a, you know, a, a 300, 400-ish size router, uh, you could now do into a single chassis and, and go up to a 1,000 or more. So it allowed us to really to compress uh, that footprint. Now what's happening uh, with um, the this rise to 4K or 12G, uh, UHD, whatever you want to call it, um, this has put a strain on that because most of those infrastructures were based around uh, three gig topologies. Uh, and to get into 12G or UHD production, which we're seeing a lot of our customers want to do, um, it, it requires uh, four, uh, a lot of times it's going to require uh, four times the bandwidth uh, and those infrastructures um, couldn't really support that. So one of the ways you can address that is uh, through uh, single link 12G equipment and Ross and other manufacturers uh, are going uh, very quickly towards moving a lot of their portfolios to that because that allows you to keep uh, that same model. But the other side uh, of the coin to this is as we are moving into this IP transport, there's some interesting things we can do with that because there were some inherent 
uh, limitations when you were using uh, coax, for instance, for distributed models. And where IP uh, really starts to get interesting is you can start to use um, the IP switch as a as a as a switch core, uh, if you will, and you can start to build these uh, distributed models that can support uh, UHD and others, and start to scale uh, in a way that we were not able to do in the past. And so that's why when you look at this combination of this decentralized model, um, the requirement for 4K. Uh, we can start to move, and this topology is allowing us to move into some uh, pretty interesting things that, that uh, our customers can do. So I, I think it's probably important to mention that this isn't a; these aren't one-size-fits-all solutions, right? That there are different factors that play into um, what makes the best solution and what makes the decision possible for each potential client. So, uh, kind of walk me through those factors that you consider when you're trying to decide what solution is best for each potential uh, client or customer that you have. Uh, sure. So that, that is very true. Uh, in fact, I would probably say that the majority of customers, uh, a decentralized model, uh, certainly today probably doesn't make sense uh, simply because one of the one of, you know, I don't know people that have unlimited budgets uh, and, and cost is a factor. Uh, and so these models tend to be a bit more expensive up front uh, just because of the way you build these out. So you're you're. Um, you're kind of doubling your I.O. in a lot of senses and some other things to get this flexibility. So uh, budget is obviously a big factor uh, for these types of systems. Um, but uh, in terms of what is positive about these is it allows us to start to change the workflow a little bit instead of these big uh, monolithic uh, frames, uh, we can start to move into a workflow uh, that starts to link multiple sites together in a very efficient manner. So uh, whether it's multiple cities or multiple rooms or uh, floors even uh, in a building, uh, you can start to use smaller building blocks uh, and then start to link these together. And so that's a really interesting thing uh, for uh, a lot of our customers as they are building uh, campuses or they might be building multi-site uh, facilities and they want to be able to tie all of these things uh, together. And, and that was something that you really uh, couldn't do um, traditionally with a single frame that a distributed architecture uh, allows you to do. So it does allow you to change your workflow. So um, if you are a customer that is looking for those types of, um, th those types of uh, workflows, it's a really interesting. Uh, it's a really interesting thing to consider. The other thing is just simply scale. Uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we have with routers, and we've had them uh, since since they've been around, um, is the cross point does get uh, limited. So, in that uh, you you can build a system, and it can be you know a sixteen by sixteen, or it can be a thousand by a thousand. It doesn't really matter the size. Uh, but you're always going to be limited to how you build out uh, the cross point matrix. Uh, and up until you hit that um, that limit, so a thousand, you're fine. Once you get to uh, you know input a thousand one or or whatever that may be, uh, you end up having to that 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 frame can't support that. And so one of the things that a decentralized system does really nicely is scale. And so this is another conversation that we're having with our customers. You know, what are your needs now, and then what are your needs? You know, 
three, four, five years from now, as you look through these transitions, what are you trying to do? Because uh, it may be that right now you might only need that single chassis, but in the future, uh, you might need to scale to a point where a single chassis starts to not make um, uh, the most sense. Uh, and you can start building those blocks now, and it'll, it does allow you to scale uh, pretty elegantly, actually, uh, as, as, as you move forward. So, you know, you have to weigh all of those factors. You have to weigh, you know, what's their workflow. You have to weigh what, uh, you know, where they want to go. And then you also have to weigh, you know, what their budget is. And, and based on that, you can start to put together uh, a decent solution that, that really benefits them the most. So, Todd, I think the assumption is that, that the transport interlinks are IP, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case, right? They can be SDI or fiber. So kind of walk me through those choices and kind of uh, explain the various, um, uh, the various options, these various options, and what makes them viable depending on the circumstance. Sure. So a lot of that uh, comes down to uh, the application and, and how we want to build these out. And there's really... Um, there's really two, uh, two ways to build one of these, uh, and I'll use the term blocking and non-blocking. Um, a, a blocking architecture means that um, you can get signals from, um, from one frame to another, uh, but it's not unlimited. So let's say uh, you've got two frames and they, they each have uh, 64 by 64, for instance. Uh, if you put 16 links between those two frames, um, you know, what that means is, is that if I want to go uh, take something from frame A and move it to frame B, I've got 16 links to move to move that across. Now, for some people, they don't need a lot of interaction uh, between these frames. Uh, and and so you can do that in a lot of ways. You can do that through simple coax, which is probably the, the cheapest and simplest to implement. Uh, if it's a decent distance, you might use fiber, uh, especially if you're doing uh, UHD. Um, you do have some, uh, you know, because of the cable reach uh, using coax um, isn't, isn't as great as it has been with some of the lower data rates. Uh, fiber makes a lot of sense where you can start to move this over uh, really good distances. Uh, but it's a, it's a blocking architecture in that I'm never going to be able to get all 64 inputs from frame A uh, over, to, over to frame B at the same time. Um, but again, uh, we have a lot of customers actually that that works just fine for them. Uh, they don't really need this, and they're building facilities with five or six different rooms, and, and they're actually using fiber um, because they just they just need a bit here and a bit there, uh, and you throw all that together with a with a nice sophisticated tie line management system, and it works great. When it comes to a non blocking architecture, you can still use those topologies, uh, but it does get harder the more frames you add. Uh, and without having a drawing, uh, this gets a little bit difficult to explain, but, but it, the, the, the theory is the more frames you have, the less local IO in each frame you're going to be able to use because you're going to have to build some sort of a mesh network, uh, to be able to move those signals around. This is where IP really gets interesting for us, uh, and for, uh, some of our customers because in effect, what we can do, uh, is we can bring in a IP switch. Uh, basically almost to act as a cross point. And then you're sending however many links from each of those frames uh, to that core switch. 
Uh, and then you can, again, build this in a blocking architecture, but you can build this in a completely non-blocking architecture. And what I mean by that is if I have, if I use my example earlier, if I have 64 local inputs and outputs uh, and I run 64 inputs and outputs uh, or streams uh, to the core switch, um, then and, uh, from both of my frames, then I can get any source to any destination at any time. And so that's what I mean by an unblocking architecture. And, and an IP uh, core in the middle of this or an IP switch in the middle of this really allows you to start scaling. So if you need to add more inputs, you add another frame and you add more links to the core. Uh, if you want to add 10 more rooms, in theory, you can do that. And so um, that topology uh, gets really interesting for these very big, uh, very distributed systems. The downside of that is there is a cost associated with that right now, as everybody knows. Uh, it is not um, the, the most cost effective uh, to use uh, IP uh, right now in, in, a, in a large scale. It is expensive, but it does allow the most flexibility. And so we have customers actually doing both. Uh, we have some customers that have said, you know what, blocking is fine um, and we can do this with fiber. Um, our, our staff knows this the best. It's the same workflow. Um, it's, it's very simple to set up. It, it kind of works the way uh, we expect it to. And then we have others that are saying, you know what, uh, we're, we're covering great distances uh, or we are starting to build out our IP plants and this makes a lot of sense for us. And they have the support staff uh, to, to, you know, to manage that and make that work and everything else. And they're moving in that direction. So, um, you know, in this case, it's a combination of, um, you know, what type of architecture are you trying to do? Um, how flexible do you want it to be? Um, and then uh, in a lot of cases, it's, um, it, you know, are we ready uh, to make the transition to, to IP? Because it does, it does require some different skills, um, you know, that, that, that some, of, some of our customers have and some of them don't, and they're just trying to move there slowly. So, Todd, it sounds like from just this conversation that we've had that that communication between yourselves and the, and, and the client is really important and really vital just in understanding what are they trying to achieve, what kind of facility are they looking to have, what capabilities are they looking to possess once their facility is fully built out. And, and that, to me, seems like it's a really crucial part of this whole thing. It's just understanding exactly what they're looking for so then you can find the solutions that work best for them. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the great things that I've loved... Um, uh, about being a Ross employee, um, you know, we have a we have a code of ethics, and and one of the things, uh, one of the very first ones is we'll always do what's um, in the best in interest of our customer, and and in this one, it's 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 really important uh, because you really do have to spend some time uh, with our customers to figure out what they're trying to do. Um, you know, there it makes no sense uh, to put them into an architecture that they can't support. Uh, or is out of their budget or really doesn't meet what they're trying to do in the future. And so we do spend a lot of time up front, especially with these, because uh, these are uh, these are complex. Even if you're simply doing um, fiber links between the two uh, systems, um, they, 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 they are complex. And so, uh, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time uh, with our customers uh, going through the scope of the project, 
um, their workflows, what are they trying to achieve, um, you know, kind of the key things uh, for to, to make this work in their in their minds. And, and obviously, uh, you know, what what kind of what their budget is for these projects. Um, so we, we uh, to make sure we give them the best fit. And if we have a fit for them, wonderful. Uh, you know, if we don't, then uh, you know, then then it's okay to say we're you know we're not the best solution. Hopefully, we are. Um, but but you have to you, you do have to go through that um, because uh, there's there's just too many things that um, in, in, you know just might not make sense for them. Todd Riggs, product manager for connectivity and controls. Todd, thank you so much for joining me here on Living Live with Ross Video. Thanks. Thanks for having me.